From FingerLakes1.com, this is Inside the Finger Lakes. I'm Josh Durso, and today our program begins with a question that's weighed on a lot of minds recently. When is school coming back? And what will K-12 education even look like after the COVID-19 pandemic? There are a lot of questions about the structure of education, but even more unanswered ones about how schools are going to be funded in New York State. This week, a conversation with South Seneca Superintendent Stephen Parker Zielinski. He shared with us what the last several weeks have been like and looks ahead at what school might look like when it returns. In fact, that's where we pick up today's conversation. All right. Um, so question number one, how do you think school has sort of changed permanently because of, of what's going on right now? How a classroom might look different moving forward, given the circumstances? Change permanently? I don't know. Uh, it's certainly true that, um, you know, as we've adjusted to this situation and put things in place as far as communication and connection at home um, for, you know, through online resources, um, you know, that has, uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, we've learned a lot as an administration, and we've learned a lot teacher to student about, you know, the effectiveness of communicating this way. I know one of the things I've seen from a lot of uh, different districts is uh, imagining what might happen on snow days in the future. <laughs> um, you know, now that we're sort of uh, used to the idea of continuing with learning while kids are at home, uh, maybe snow days look different. Of course, the big problem is that there really is no substitute for kids being um, in person, in school, working with teachers. And so let's not fool ourselves to think that this is an equal replacement to what it is that we already do every day in school. There's a reason that we emphasize attendance policies so much and urge people to come to school um, because we're just so much more effective, uh, you know, person to person than um, with a medium like this. I guess maybe my answer uh, to your question about um, changing things permanently is uh, we've uh, sort of, um, you know, been forced to teach ourselves how to use a new uh, set of resources. Um, and so I'll just, I, I guess maybe the best answer is that we're, we're better equipped now than we were before with our toolkit of possibilities to uh, make things happen. Um, but I don't want to suggest for one second that it's an equal replacement. So walk us through what your day looks like in given the circumstances right now and how that maybe differs a little bit from what it was, say, 40 days ago. Well, I can say that I had some uh, experience doing uh, video conference meetings before, uh, but now it seems like it's... Um, all video conference meetings. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, there's, there's an exhaustion to that. Um, it's not the way that we typically communicate with each other. Um, and even though it works, and I can have a conversation with you um, using this method, um, it's, uh, I find that, you know, it's, uh, uh, to do this one after another after another can be pretty exhausting. Um, I think I talk a little bit louder when I'm yelling into the screen. <laughs> and so <laughs> nothing to do with uh, um, any other kind of illness. I, I finish the day with a sore throat just because I'm, I'm screaming at the screen all day. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really um, emphasized, I think, the things that we miss about being together in person. Uh, I've, I've even come to realize how much I appreciate 
um, just the opportunity to walk around and uh, see people um, in classrooms and uh, be in the hallways and um, sit in on meetings. And it's very, very different to do uh, you know, a video conference than it is to just be in the space of what's going on. You know, I, I, I like to think that uh, um, I do twice as much listening as speaking. Um, and uh, in, in this venue, um, it's really important to talk, 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 talk. <laughs> uh, and so uh, um, you asked me what my days are like. Um, I'm trying to connect with um, our different directors, the director of food service, the director of transportation, the director of facilities, in our administrative team mostly, um, but also the board of education, and uh, you know the um, and in in a lesser um, respect, um, the teachers and the staff. Um, I'm talking about personally myself, um, and uh, and then also our communications people because another huge challenge I think I shared with you by email before um, is that uh, you know our capacity for getting things done in a small district falls on just a few people. And it's hard to do a great job of doing the constant kind of communication that is necessary in a crisis like this to update the website and to keep the social media going. And, uh, you know, we do have some people on that, but um, it's a challenge. Is, have you found it since this new normal has has come to be that it's a little more difficult to quote unquote turn it off to sort of take yourself away from work do you feel like you're stuck in that because me personally that has been one of the big um, challenges throughout my entire career is like this we're always working kind of mentality and of course you as a superintendent you're always working but if you're not going to a place and leaving a place um, is it a little more difficult now to shut that off and to sort of put work to the side every once in a while, even if it's just to sort of recharge your brain a little bit? Yeah, thanks for that question. I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> um, it, it's very true. You know, it, it's, it's also true that we've, we've always kind of felt like we're on duty 24-7. Um, but, you know, in, in this situation, I, I keep joking that we've built decades of experience up to learn what all the rules are and the laws and the regulations, and then everything gets turned upside down in one month, and we're creating things from scratch. And there's this feeling all the time like um, I've left something out, or there's still another task to look at. Um, there's another system to build. There's another piece of communication to get out there. And uh, you walk away from the day and you know, suddenly you remember, oh, I got to do that too. <laughs> uh, and so I think that there's that phenomenon of, of yes, always feeling like uh, you know, something is left undone or some loophole isn't closed. And, and uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. How impressive. You mentioned food service as one of the, one of the things that sort of evolved for school districts across the region. Um, how impressive has it been watching that come together in such a short amount of time? And what do you think that says about the folks who are the, the, the food service directors, the ones who are, um, you know, not only on the front lines, but sort of orchestrating this entirely new um, experimental process, essentially feeding yeah. kids yeah. away from the schools? Yeah, you can't say enough about it. Uh, you know, when I, when I say we're building new systems, um, it, you know, none of that is more true than in food service. 
you know, even, you know, our first thought was to mimic what we've done in summer feeding for communities. Um, but we quickly realized that that was far inadequate to the need that, you know, was presented here to keep people fed um, through an extended closure. And so we just had to build a new system from scratch. Um, and, uh, you know, our first approach was to think that we would set up a few different community pickup places. Um, you know, as, as I talk about a lot at South Seneca, we're, um, you know, from terms of population, we're small. Um, but in terms of geography, we're very big, 130 square miles in South Seneca. Um, and so we've, you know, our initial thinking was, well, we'll set up a, you know, a pickup in Ovid and a pickup in Interlaken and a pickup in Lodi. And, you know, maybe that'll, maybe that'll work. And it didn't take us long. It took us less than a week to realize that that really wasn't going to do it. Um, and so we shifted immediately into a mode of doing the door-to-door -door deliveries that we've, you know, continued all along through the closure and will continue into the foreseeable future. Um, but that puts a lot of responsibility on the people to make that happen. So um, Kathy Bishop is our director of food service at South Seneca. Um, I loved it in a recent um, board report. She wrote that we like we like it that we're considered essential, <laughs> um, and they certainly are. Uh, so we deliver three times a week. Um, we use our bus drivers to do the to do the deliveries. Um, we take care to make sure that um, everybody that's working in the system is doing everything they can to protect themselves um, and each other. Um, we uh, and then, you know, we've, we've leveraged the fact that we're a small district to be able to um, have personal communication with 100% of our families. So the first thing we did was we asked them if they need the food. Um, and so that was our starting point. Um, and we are committed to checking back in with them on a regular basis if they initially denied or um, um, uh, declined the service that we can check back in with them to see if circumstances have changed. And we already know that some circumstances have changed and uh, we keep adding families to the delivery list. So um, just the fact that we built this thing from scratch um, and uh, we have people rotating shifts to prepare the food, to box the food, and then to deliver the food three times a week, um, in addition to the other ways that we get food to um, community members, it's just, it's incredibly impressive and it's probably the most impressive thing that we've pulled off. How long can a district like South Seneca sustain that type of effort? Um, it, it, it looks like there probably won't be a, a continuation of this current school year, or at least that doesn't really seem to be totally clear at this point, but um, how long is the district or district sort of, you know, gaming this out and sort of theorizing how long they may have to continue doing this? Well, we've built something that can last. Um, it is sustainable as long as we have the funding <laughs> to sustain it. So, uh, you know, the, the, you know I, I don't know if your future questions have anything to do with the economic impact here, but... Oh, we're uh, going there. It's very much on our minds that, um, you know, assuming that our revenue remains some, something close to what it's been, then I think that we can sustain this. Um, you know, we're already talking about the long term, and uh, you know, uh, Kathy Bishop has been adjusting our the ordering of food. We've also been facilitating and uh, accepting donations 
um, from you know amazing community members and uh, businesses that have brought food our way. Um, and so you know we're thinking about variety, we're thinking about nutrition all the time, and uh, we think that we can keep this going. However, um, all bets are off if you know we have massive withholding of funds uh, moving forward. All right, let's get into that. Um, what are the what are the financial implications that, that you sort of see on the horizon now, um, given some of the different scenarios that could potentially uh, play out? Obviously, no clear signal at this point yet from Governor Cuomo or from the federal government in terms of um, what's going to be coming at the state or federal level, but um, there's concern, obviously, and you sort of alluded to it already, but walk yeah. us through what your big, uh, big concerns are right now. Yeah, well, South Seneca is a district that relies about two-thirds on state and federal aid for revenues, about one-third for uh, property taxes. Um, so out of a $25 million budget, um, it's, a, it's about an $8 million tax levy, and the rest comes from state and federal monies. Um, so in good times, we can always expect um, a modest increase in state aid um, annually as they build the state budget. But even, even in good times, you know, we've recognized that, you know, perhaps, um, you know, the, the state will not be able to afford to keep doing increases um, into, the, into the future. Um, when times are not good, um, then we start to worry. Uh, the last time around with the recession um, around 2010, um, we lived through years of what they call the gap elimination adjustment in New York State. Um, where the, the state aid is allocated to the districts, but then withheld. Um, it was withheld on an annual basis. And for South Seneca, that added up to about $6 million over the few years that that um, was taking place. And, uh, you know, just like a lot of other districts, we had to do a lot of reductions in order to um, accommodate that. Um, this time around, it looks like it could be even worse. Uh, so, you know, the, the first a set of aid runs that came with the passage of the New York State budget, um, you know, sort of kept things flat. Um, it, it, what it did was it reduced state aid and then on paper immediately replaced it with the allocation from the Federal CARES Act um, with the federal money to um, account for the reduction from the state side. Um, but, you know, I think that People appreciate Governor Cuomo's straight talk about this situation, and you know one of the, one of his comments is, "I can't protect schools from reality." <laughs> um, and the reality is that um, you know they were already facing uh, a revenue deficit, a deficit in the budget, um, and now that those projections have just gotten more dire, um, and uh, everybody's aware of the unemployment and the shutdown of businesses and everything that feeds revenue in the state um, is threatened um, with extended closures that are incredibly necessary. Um, but when we're talking about now, you know, tens of billions of dollars of deficit, we know that the withholding of aid is on the way. Um, they've already built into the system uh, that there are four periods of time um, when uh, the director of uh, budget can look at the aid allocated to schools um, and do this withholding. 
The first one's coming right up um, in 10 days on April 30th. Um, and then June 30th, December 31st, and March 31st are the three other ones. Um, and uh, we're prepared um, for massive withholding of aid um, as, a, as you know, a reaction to you know, the reality of the revenue situation. Um, I know that they're working right now federally uh, in Washington uh, on, you know, another um, stimulus package. Um, and what we're hoping from the public schools of New York State side of things is that some of that federal money will be directly allocated to public schools in New York State. New York is the um, epicenter of the outbreak in the country. Um, and so we feel like, uh, you know, New York perhaps needs as much help as any state in, in the union. And, uh, you know, the fact that public schools are working as we've just been talking about, not only to do food distribution, but also to try to continue learning for kids um, and accommodate, you know, childcare for the frontline workers uh, of healthcare and first responders. Um, it's, just, it's just an enormous undertaking. And, you know, you and I have spoken in the past about everything that we ask a school district to do nowadays. We take it on happily. Uh, we care about our families and, you know, in many ways we're a primary resource for them. But the only way that we can con continue to do that is if we're funded. Uh, and so, you know, the, the thought of losing up to millions of dollars of uh, aid, which what, it's, the, it's the fuel that runs our programs. Um, to be without that um, just means that we're not going to be able to do what we what we want to be able to do. What? Uh, how does a district? Because here's the outsider is going to look at this and and understand that you know South Seneca is a very small district in the grand scheme of New York yep. State. How yep. does a district that small find new ways or ways in general to cut to save when you're talking about potentially? Um, millions of dollars in aid. I mean, it. it I, you're saying it, it. What you're saying sounds to me like um, you're talking about cuts in some in staffing areas, but at the same time, you know, how much can you cut staff to potentially save what ends up being millions of dollars at the right. end of the year? Right. Right. Well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're already. Um, you know, at a small staff capacity right. um, to do what we're asked to do. Um, every single person in the organization, we have about 200 employees now. Um, every single one of us has got a full plate of responsibilities. Um, you know, we really don't have extras. Uh, so, you know, every person has got a job description that's uh, necessary um, and you know, sustains what it is that we're trying to do for, for our families in the district. Um, and so when we turn our attention to uh, making cuts and removing uh, staff positions in the case of losing funding, um, you know, it scares us. Uh, you know, it's, it's scary not only to sit across from a person at a table and let them know that, you know, their, their job is no more. Um, but, uh, you know, when we think about what it is we're trying to accomplish and who we need to be able to do that, we already don't have enough. Uh, so um, trying to make those kinds of decisions um, is nothing that we uh, look forward to. 
And I'm curious in terms of, because ordinarily when I have you in uh, on the show this time of year, we're, we're already talking about next year because that's yeah. kind of how yeah. it all works. True. Um, how do you go through, given everything we just talked about, how do you go through and, you know, even just on a basic level, structurally start to plan for the next school year when so much is, you know, right now up in the air? Is that going yeah. to create basically like a rush scenario where this summer, per perhaps in a matter of weeks, you know, you guys have to not only figure out the X's and O's of the, the dollars, but then also figure out structurally what, you know, the 2020, 2021 school year is going to look yeah. like. Yeah. Well, even before that, we're just trying to make it through the rest of the spring. Yeah. Uh, you know, what we're, what we're keenly aware of at this moment is all of the opportunities that are being missed, especially for our senior class. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the time of year now when, you know, we're celebrating the senior class. Uh, and we have uh, events that do that and it leads up to a graduation ceremony. And so, you know, to get to your question, you know, we're, we're simultaneously managing the day-to-day -day demands of getting done what we need to get done right now. Um, and I already spoke about how hard that can be because we're creating things that never were created before. So, you know, we're, um, you know, we're, we're uh, um, making decisions and communicating these decisions in real time for the short term. Um, and, you know, each time we get another two weeks of closure, we think about what those two weeks are going to look like. But at the same time, so many people are wondering about the future and would like to know the answers to the questions about what's gonna happen with our graduation ceremony. Uh, what's gonna happen with, uh, you know, awarding of scholarships at the end of the year that, you know, that we do on a, on a routine basis. What's the summer gonna look like? What's next year gonna look like? And unfortunately, you know, too, too often the answer is we don't know that yet uh, because we don't really know what June 15th is gonna even look like yet. You know, if if, if we miraculously end up back in school, then that's very much different than if we're still in a closure period. Um, we don't know what the restrictions are going to be in terms of holding any kind of a public graduation ceremony. You know, maybe we should decide to postpone the ceremony into the summer months. I think people would probably happily take a ceremony if they could get one in August, um, and if we couldn't have one at the end of June. But even that, we really don't have, we don't have enough information um, to know what the parameters are going to be or what the restrictions are going to be and able to do that. So when you talk about 2021, um, you know, we've built the calendar and, you know, already we're in the mode of thinking about, you know, how um, the normal summer, you know, activities are going to happen and professional development that goes on leading up to the opening of school in September. And then right behind those plans are the question, well, are we going to open school in September? <laughs> uh, what if we don't? <laughs> uh, what if we come back and then we have to close again? Uh, you know, I, I think that it's fair to say we'll be a little bit better prepared for that if that happens. But at the same time, it makes it so difficult to do this kind of uh, long range planning or anything that um, approaches normalcy. Um, for what it is that we do. And uh, so much of what we do is important, is really, really important. It's important stuff to have the, you know, all of these structures in place to support the, the work that we do um, because we've become so much more than just education. Um, and, uh, 
for a rural community like South Seneca, um, you know, there, there's a lot that families uh, rely on us for and that we want to provide. What, uh, what are you hearing from teachers, faculty, um, those who are still interacting with students? Um, how are the students holding up? How is the faculty holding up? And are there any concerns in terms of um, where students are now versus where they're going to be in the fall? Obviously, a lot of state tests have been sort of put on ice for now. Uh, right. Regents exams are, are over with, not happening. Yeah. Um, what, what are sort of the, the base level expectations for that moving forward and compare that to, you know, what you're hearing now from the, the boots on the ground, so to speak? Yeah, well, I guess it's two things at once. Um, starting with the positives, um, it has really been, just as I described with the food service uh, operation, it's really been um, incredibly inspiring uh, to see what teachers have come up with <laughs> um, in order to stay connected with, um, with our students. I mentioned before leveraging the fact that we're small. Um, even before we did our closure, we did some um, work to line up our roster of kids with um, our adults so that, um, you know, we, we sort of uh, formalized um, what we've always done informally, which is saying that every kid has an adult advocate. Um, and so, you know, from, from our side of things, adults in the operation, not just teachers, but everybody, um, took on the responsibility of a small list of students and said, during the time that we're out, I'm gonna, I will make a personal connection with these, this list of students just to make sure that they're okay, um, to see how things are going and, and to make sure that um, they're getting what they need during this time. From an academic standpoint, it's been amazing to see um, what's been built um, in terms of you know, online uh, learning, classrooms, um, the videos that get um, distributed, the um, live and asynchronous connections that are happening with kids. Um, and so all of that has been really amazing and impressive. On the flip side, um, all the stress that we've been talking about is shared by everybody. So it's being shared by people at home um, that are receiving this, this uh, material and the people that are creating the material. So teachers ask themselves, am I doing enough? Teachers ask themselves, am I doing too much? <laughs> um, you know, we, get in, we, we reach out to families to get feedback about how, how are you receiving this? Is it, is it overwhelming? Um, you know, because if, uh, if you think about, you know, every, uh, especially a secondary student um, has got multiple teachers um, on their course load, if they're receiving materials from multiple teachers at home, what does that add up to in terms of a responsibility over the course of the day? You know, I've heard lots of comments about, um, you know, the person who's working at home um, just with adults in the house versus um, when they also have their own children um, to, man to take care of. Um, and if you got three or four or five of those at home, how, how do you get this done? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've heard the whole spectrum of stress and um, inspiration around this. And what we're just starting to get to now, a month into this thing, is a little bit more collaboration on teacher teams. Um, just to be thinking about, um, you know, as, as families are receiving this material, how much is too much? And should we sort of 
um, kind of work together to make sure that um, on the on the home end that um, things aren't so overwhelming that it just becomes something to avoid. Well, Steve, appreciate the time as always. Uh, good luck with everything you guys have going on. We will definitely be catching up with you again here. Um, I'm sure in the coming months, uh, just because it's, it's evolving by the minute, like you said, and uh, yeah. it's, it's really important work that you guys are doing. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Josh, anytime. And I look forward to talking some more. Um, thanks for the work you're doing as well. It's really important. Thanks for listening or watching. Inside the FLX is a production of FingerLakes1.com Digital Media. It's presented by FL1 News and hosted by me, Josh Durso. New episodes are released on demand each week on FingerLakes1.com or the FingerLakes1.com app. You can also catch episodes anywhere you find podcasts. If you have an idea for an episode or question you'd like answered on the show, visit InsideTheFLX.com to submit it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.